you don't know who I am, my name is Tim Bedall and I serve as the teaching pastor here at Village Bible Church. And just as Keith shared, it's uh, great to have uh, so many of the kids back again here today on Sunday to uh, present what they've been singing for the last couple days. And uh, while they're preparing for that, I'd ask that you would grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one in the pew racks uh, in the pews in front of you. And turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. If you don't know where the book of Hebrews is, start at the end of the Bible and start moving your way back to the front of the Bible. And about five or six books in, you'll find the book of Hebrews. You'll go through the book of Revelation, a couple Johns, uh, a couple Peters, a James, and then the book of Hebrews. And we're going to find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, for those that are with us usually, uh, we usually are in, uh, during the summer, the book of Ruth. We've been in a uh, 12-week series out of the book of Ruth. We'll get to that in a couple weeks, but for uh, the sake of a special nature of VBS Sunday, I want to focus in on the key verse that the kids had uh, as they were a part of VBS this Sunday. Now, I will tell you that I changed my sermon uh, late uh, or early Saturday morning, about one o'clock Saturday morning. I was three quarters of the way done looking forward to a wonderful uh, Saturday of not having to worry about a sermon. And I read through it and my title was Finding Victory in Life. But I know there's a lot of White Sox fans out there. And... um, and I know that's difficult days to uh, deal with trying to find victory. You try to find them, and uh, they're hard to come by. So I felt I would do something a little different and talk about the Cubs and talk about the subject of heroes. <laughs> I heard a couple amens out there. I see a couple people leaving for the doors. Well, the kids learned this week that the subject of the week was going to be game day. Game day. When we think of the term game day, we begin to conjure up in our minds the sports theme. We begin to think about a ballpark or a football field or or some sort of basketball court and competition taking place. And the theme motto of the week was the idea where heroes were made. It seems that the playing field, the basketball court, the track um, uh, and field events find heroes out of them. Who would have ever thought that a young boy from Wilmington, North Carolina, who loved the game of baseball, would grow up to be the greatest basketball player of all time named Michael Jordan? Who would have thought that a young boy at two years of age, being shown on the Mike Douglas program in 1978, would grow up because he was on the show because of his uncanny ability to make golf putts, would one day grow up to be Tiger Woods? It's amazing that the basketball court and the golf course made those two individuals heroes. And many times we find ourselves pursuing uh, heroic things when it comes to athletics. In fact, Webster defines the word hero as one who is endowed with great strength or ability, one who is admired for their achievements, one who shows great courage amidst amazing amounts of troubles, and one who is the object of extreme admiration and devotion. Now, if you were honest with me this morning, if we were to talk as a group, we would all probably deep down inside have a desire in one way or another to be a hero. We all would like to be that one who makes the game-winning shot, the one who's able to pull off the great deal at the end of the uh, campaign to make sure that everything turns out the way it is. Heroes are ones who find victory. Heroes are ones who find success. Now, while that may be a desire of all of ours, even if we don't want to admit it or not, 
where, where we want to be heroes may be in different arenas. As a child, I longed to look at the posters that I had on my wall of the Michael Jordans and the Dominique Wilkins and the uh, different Cubs that I had on there because I wanted to grow up to be a hero. I didn't have White Sox people on those walls. Uh, it's in the notes. I'm sorry. i got to go with it. And I wanted to grow up to be like them. I would dream as I played baseball with some of my friends being in Wrigley Field hitting the home run in the bottom of the ninth to win the World Series. Now I know there's some of you that don't have a big joy and love for sports. But maybe you want to be a hero in your workplace. Maybe you want to be the one when the deal is on the line that you walk into your office space and you are able to close the deal to make sure your company makes millions. Maybe you're not in the workplace. Maybe it's in the area of education. Education. I know it wasn't for me, but maybe it was in education. Maybe you have this deep desire to get all the degrees and all the different letters that go at the end of your name because you want to show yourself as being one who has found victory and success in the area of education. There are still others that desire popularity and fame. I saw a, a Newsweek article about the status of our teenagers and the number one dream they have from the ages of 12 to 17 is to be famous and popular. They desire to be heroic, if you will, to find victory and success in the area of notoriety and popularity. But as we got our kids together this last week and spoke on the subject of heroes, we didn't talk about popularity. We didn't talk about athletics. We didn't even talk about finding uh, success in their schools this year. We taught them that the only way that they can find success, the only way that they can become the heroes that God wants them to be is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we taught. And that's what VBS is all about. Yes, we love kids and we enjoy playing games with kids. But we want the children of the Sugar Grove and surrounding communities to know that Jesus Christ loves them and He died on the cross for them so that they may have eternal life. And that's why we do a week of VBS. So we look at the text that they have today, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'd ask that you would stand with me as we read God's Word together this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we open Your Word... We know that Your Word is able to change lives. Father, I pray today that it would be living and active and change the lives of people in this place. Father, I pray that we would find out the ways that we can be a hero, not in the eyes of our neighbors or our friends or our co-workers, but Lord, that we could find victory, that we could find success, that we could be Your heroes because of the work and person of Jesus Christ. So, Father, be with us as we open your word. We pray for a great time of teaching. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. With the time that I have left, I want to explore this passage of Scripture and speak about how you and I can become heroes. 
As you know, heroes are those that are successful. Heroes are those that are victorious. And our text speaks about that in wonderful detail this morning. In fact, the Bible writers all throughout the New Testament, when they speak of the Christian life, they speak of it as a race. And Hebrews chapter 12 is no different. In fact, this morning we get a picture as we open up Hebrews chapter 12 of this grand coliseum full of people with activities going on and waiting for the race to be completed. And we learn three things about what it means to be a hero. The first thing we see is that heroes follow in the footsteps of the saints. They follow in the footsteps of the saints. Look at what it says in the beginning of chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now what is the writer of Hebrews speaking of? He's saying that there's this group of witnesses that are watching us. Now who are these people? Are they angels? Are they people up there with heavenly wings and halos and they're watching down and looking at who we are and saying, oh there's Tim at Village Bible Church with all those people and he's preaching. Let's watch him for a while. Is that it? Well we don't think that that's the case. Maybe they are people that have died and it's all the people that have died waiting and watching. I have a brother who died in a car accident almost 20 years ago. Is he looking down right now and saying, oh, there's Tim, that's my brother. Did you see there's my brother? He's preaching today in front of all those people. I don't think that's what the writer's talking about either. Look back at Hebrews chapter 11. If you're in Hebrews chapter 12, move back just one page to Hebrews 11. And when you look at Hebrews 11, you will see at the heading where the number 11 that shows the chapter break is, that you'll see the Excuse me, the great hall of faith. You're going to see in chapter 11 a whole bunch of people's names. People like Abraham and David and Moses and all these different people. And what they're talking about is that all these people were great people of faith. Yesterday I was watching in uh, Canton, Ohio, the Hall of Fame inductions that are going on. And one of my favorite running backs, Thurman Thomas from the Buffalo Bills, was being inducted. And all these people are there. And not just people that were fans, but all those that are alive that are in the Hall of Fame now go every year to be a part of this induction ceremony. And they're there to cheer on the one who has just finished the race. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is is that this great cloud of witnesses are these people that have gone before us who have run the race for Christ. We see that these people are the saints. Look at all those different names in Hebrews chapter 11 that we see. They're all the saints who have gone before us. Now we need to learn a couple things about these saints. First of all, these saints are people who have run the race. They are people who have run the race. These aren't people that are just spectators who are saying, you know, I I always love racing and I'm going to go and watch the race over at the Coliseum today. No, these are people who have already done the race that was marked out for them. Now, there's a couple things we can learn from these kinds of people, these saints. We can learn, first of all, that we are called to run a race as well. Just as they were called to run, so we are called to run. In chapter 11, you're going to see, if you were to read that when you got home, that you would find out that these people had difficult lives. One of the things that we learn from those that have run the race is that the Christian life is not easy. It's full of troubles. It's full of hardships. Chapter 11, in fact, at the end of chapter 11, speaks of a list, a litany of different things that these people faced in opposition 
in their life. We learn another thing when it comes to running the race, and that is how to run the race. Think about this for a moment. If I was to tell you that I was going to enter into the Chicago Marathon in October, I could go and talk to any one of you and say, what do you think I need to do to win the marathon? What do I need to be ready to expect as I'm running the marathon? Now, if I was to ask you that, you would give me your uh, noblest attempts to try to answer, Tim, well, first of all, you need to lose a little weight, okay? I think that would be everybody's uh, opinion. Everybody says amen, amen, okay? You would say, you know what, you probably need to train, you need to start running, and, uh, and that's an oxymoron when it comes to me, and, and, and you need to make sure you start eating better and, and prepare yourself in that way. Well, that's, that's great, But if I want to know what it means to run in a marathon, I can take all your guys' information and say, yeah, that's all good and noble and I, I understand that. But who do I want to go talk to? The one who has run the marathon. You know, I went to the Bears uh, camp this last week, training camp down in Bourbonnet, and we were walking in with my family, going to see the practice, and I saw one of the trailers for one of the sports talk radio stations that I love listening to. And I had never seen these guys live, and I enjoy listening to them every afternoon. And when I got to the trailer, and I was so excited, these guys know everything about sports. You you say one thing, well, what, what, did, well, what did Sammy Sosa bat in 1997? They'll be able to tell you right off the cuff this is what it is and I'm so excited to see these guys and when I saw them I got to tell you something I hope they don't get my sermons I was incredibly disappointed these guys were in worse shape than I was it didn't look like they had played a sport in years and the time that we sat down they were yelling about one of the players who was dogging it in the practice I said his dogging is your sprinting I mean, there's, there's no question. Now, I will tell you, there are a lot of people who talk a good game about finding victory in life, but I'll be honest with you. I don't want to go listen to someone who talks about it. I want to go to someone who's done it and found victory in it. You know, it's great to hear people, and I'm sure they've got a lot of knowledge, but if I want to know what it's like to be a part of 95-degree weather in training camp and what it's like to put on pads, I want to go find one of those players and find out what it means to practice in that kind of heat. Not sit and talk to someone who has an air-conditioned RV sitting next to them, and when they get done talking and are sweating, they can go into the air-conditioned RV. I don't want to talk with someone who's just going to talk a good game. I want to see someone who has run it. Hebrews chapter 11 are examples of people who have run the race. Now the second thing we see is they're not just those who have run the race, but they've shown us that God is reliable. They've been able to show us and reveal to us that God is reliable. Hebrews chapter 11 is a wonderful picture of God's reliability in the times and trials of life. When you look at the lives of those that had come, Abraham was a man who is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, and not everything went well for Abraham. But what we learn from Abraham's life, he's wanting a child. We know the story. Abraham, his wife Sarah, are a hundred years of age. They want a child. They've asked for a child, and it's never come about. They try to take care of having a child on their own. And at a hundred years of age, God brings forth a son named Isaac. And when we look at the life of Abraham, we 
see the reliability of God. That they gave the problem to God, they knew they couldn't take care of it on their own, and God came through. You look at the life of Moses, and you see Moses when he talks about in Hebrews chapter 11 about them coming to the Red Sea. Egypt and Pharaoh's armies coming after them. Moses doesn't know what to do. God says, hey, span your arms out with the Aaron's rod and watch the Red Sea part. We see the reliability of God. God does not leave us in a place of destruction, but he gives us a miracle before our way so we could dry, walk on dry land. We see from Hebrews chapter 11, not just people who have run the race, but we are revealed that God is reliable. What does that mean for us today? When we walk in the footsteps of people that have gone before us, who have walked with the Lord, who have chosen to be obedient to Christ, we learn a couple things. One, we learn how to run the race, that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to have some trials and tribulations along the way. But the second thing that we see is that God is faithful. God is able to do what He's promised. He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I've got a couple uh, people that I walk in the footsteps of. One is uh, dead and one is living. I walk in the footstep as a preacher to a man from England named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Anytime I can find out any information about that man, I do. This guy was amazing. And I want to walk in his footsteps. But I know that it's very difficult to look a hundred and some years back to learn about a man and what he's all about. So I have a living footstep uh, maker that I follow, and that is my father. I look at my dad and I watch how my dad has lived. My dad isn't perfect, and, and he's got bumps and bruises along the way, and he's done, he's had issues in his life and struggles, but I look at a man at 16 years of age who came with no family to America from Iraq, and God has been faithful to minister to him, walked him through the trial of losing his oldest son, and I've seen my father be faithful to the call of Christ. And you know what I've learned? Is that in the greatest of times, God is with him. In the worst of times, God is with him. And when you follow in the footsteps of a saint, you'll learn a couple things. That God is with you, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. So when the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what he's saying is, in light of what all those people in Hebrews chapter 11 have done, run the race that God has for you. Well, there's a second thing we see. The second thing we see in regards to this race and becoming a hero and finding victory in that is that, secondly, heroes fight the temptation to stop running. Heroes fight the, the temptation to stop running. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, listen to what it says next. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a lot of preachers out there who will say that if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Let me tell you something. That is not what the Bible says about the Christian walk. In John 16.33, Jesus tells his disciples, In this world you will have troubles. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have trials that come into your life that make it difficult, that will make you want to quit. 
I remember about this time when I was in high school running on the soccer team. And I was never, you know, I, I have a larger physique, which means that then I'm not that good at soccer. And I remember running, knowing I was going to sit on the bench. And I would come home after the double practices that we would have over at the high school, and I would tell my parents, what, what is it worth? I know that I'm not going to be able to play in the game. Why keep running? And my dad says, because you're not to quit. You're to persevere. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. No matter where you're at in the game, you always have to run. There's a couple things we see about this running. Because if you don't have these things, then you will quit. The first thing we must have is we must be prepared. We must prepare ourselves. Now the text says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The writer is telling us that the Christian walk, the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It's not a hundred yard dash. It is a marathon. And what it's going to take is it's going to take being prepared. Well, what does that mean? The preparation for a marathon means you've got to get rid of everything that is going to hinder you. Now, if you look at what a marathon runner has, if you were to watch it on TV or be a part of one, you are going to know that my dress is not what, and I'm not wearing a dress, but what I'm wearing is not the average marathon clothing. You'll see they've got a real thin tank top on and real short shorts. Why? Because they want nothing to hinder them. I was listening to a, um, an interview of one of the guys that now they don't even wear socks that you can see, that they're so short that you don't even see them coming out. And the reason why is they don't want anything to hinder them. They're so particular. They won't wear jewelry. They won't wear anything that will keep them from running the race as fast as they can. The writer of Hebrews says we need to prepare ourselves. He says get rid of anything that hinders. But what is that? The scripture tells us that there are things in our life that may be noble, that may be positive effects in your life, but if they become too big in your life, that they become a negative force. Things like going out and entertaining yourself. There's nothing wrong with going out on a Saturday night, going to having uh, food and watching a movie. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you're living for and that's what you're pursuing, then you've got a problem. That thing's going to begin to hinder you from what God has for you. If you're just hanging out and enjoying your hobbies or pursuing uh, new houses and new cars, again, there's nothing wrong with a new house or a new car. But if that's what you're living for, all that becomes is a bunch of heavy clothing on you who are trying to run a marathon there are other things seeking after all the different things in the world trying to fill your bank account trying to do all these great things if they hinder you from the gospel of Christ and following Jesus Christ then they are a hindrance and they need to be removed but he goes on and he says and also the sin that so easily entangles and what he's talking about is anything that is contrary to God and his word that will keep you from running the race when he talks about entangling the Greek there in the original language literally was painting a picture of a couple things number one a runner running with the robes that they wore in that day think about that their robes were not something short they were long and there weren't just one robe there would be robe and then an interior robe and then an undergarment robe and what would happen is is if they tried to run that race like that they would trip themselves up 
The second picture we are given is that when people ran these races, many times we didn't have asphalt cinder tracks like we do now that that are uh, able to be easily maneuvered. They would run along stony paths where there were vines and where there was tall grass. And what would happen is, is if you got off track, you would easily be uh, entangled in the weeds and the vines that were along the path. So what he's saying is to stay away from all that stuff. Get rid of it. Now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says the sins. He doesn't explain any of the sins. He doesn't say it's this, stay away from this, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. He doesn't say any of that. What he says is, hey, anything that is against God's word and that you struggle with, get rid of it. Now, I can assure you, the things that I struggle with are probably not the same things that you may struggle with. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, Tim, whatever you struggle with, you stay away from those things because if you pursue those things, you will be hindered in your walk with Jesus Christ. And what the writer is saying is whatever you struggle with, whatever temptation makes you fall day in and day out, he says, get rid of it. You want to be victorious? You can't start going and being lured. Uh, you know, you watch as the marathon goes on, you'll see vending stands that are going on hot dogs and pizza for all those people like me who go and watch a marathon and don't run in it. Now think about a marathon runner who is tempted with the smells of maybe pork chops on a grill or the gyros over by the where the Greeks are cooking and smelling all that and stopping and eating and saying, hey, well, I was tempted and I'm going to pursue those things. Those people, if they do that, number one, are going to fall behind in the race and number two, they're going to be sick when they get back into the race. And that's what happens when we choose sin over running the race that God has for us. Because what happens is we've got our eye on the prize, but then some scent gets into our eyes, get drawn to something else. And what happens? We get off the race that God has for us. The writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Run the race and it involves being prepared. The second thing we see is that we are to persevere. We are to persevere. Look at what it says. Once we have uh, gotten rid of the sin that so easily entangles, it says run the race with perseverance. A marathon is in a picture of a long haul. It's not something that is just a flash in the day and we move on, but it's something that takes a long time. Twenty-six and a half miles is a marathon. Now, in 1986, in the New York Marathon, almost 20,000 runners entered the race. And in 1986, the story was not who won the marathon. The story was who took last place. A man by the name of Bob Wyland finished 19,413th place, dead last. He finished the race, so that means about 600 did not finish the race. And Bob completed the New York Marathon in four days, two hours, and 47 minutes, and 17 seconds. It is the slowest marathon to have ever been run in America to date. Now, obviously, I haven't tried to run yet, so... That would keep it even slower, but unquestionably the slowest marathon. So why is it that Bob Weiland made the New York Times and the television news that night? Because 17 years earlier, Bob lost both of his arms in Vietnam. I'm sorry, both of his legs. I'm sorry, both of his legs in Vietnam. And he ran the marathon by using his arms and one step at a time. He would take one and move himself, another and move himself for four days, 26 and a half 
miles. You know, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, persevering. It may mean that there are others that as we run out, there may be others that run faster than us. If we were to go out and have a relay race right now, there would be some that would be able to run no problem, while there's others like myself who would be a lot slower. Now, the story isn't to go ahead and try to run as fast as you can. It doesn't say anything about that. It says persevere. It says even when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Even when it becomes difficult, when you want to give in, when you want to quit, that's why we got to look back to chapter 11 because when we look back to chapter 11, we see people who run well, but they don't just run well in the good times. They run well in the bad. And that's what we need to be looking at. How do we persevere? There will be trials. There will be tribulations. There will be trouble. And when those troubles come, it doesn't say, well, give up. It's too hard. It's too uh, difficult. When Noah started riding his bike, my four-year-old son, he started and he was all excited. And he got on the bike and he began to try to pedal and the pedals wouldn't move. And he tried. I said, you got to keep trying, son. He said, you know what? No, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go play somewhere else. And he quit. And I set that bike in the garage, and I kept saying, no, you got this new bike. And he'd say, no, it's too hard, it's too hard. And then one day, as I was inside, I saw Noah move across the sidewalk on his bike. And he came in, and he says, Dad, I'm glad you didn't get rid of the bike. It's my favorite. You know, when we persevere... It may be difficult in the moment, and it may mean sweat and blood and tears and difficulty, but I'll tell you, when we persevere for Christ, there is nothing better in the world. Persevering. Now, he gives us one more thing. Once we've uh, persevered, he says then we need to prioritize. It says run the race that is marked out for you. Now that gives us an idea of priority. Now we learn a couple things of what the writer of Hebrews is speaking about. First of all, we need to understand we all have our own race to run. In the Christian life, your job is not to try to compete against me. It isn't to try to say, you know what, well, Tim's heading this way, so I'm going to head that way with him. God has given us a race that is marked out for us. And each one may be different. I've been given in my race the job and the responsibility to be the one who gets up on Sunday mornings and preaches. You don't have to worry about that. Why? Because you haven't been given that race. I have. Now, I didn't spend a lot of time this week at VBS. Why? Because I wasn't given that race to run. And there were people, I'm looking over at Larry Trahan, every year Larry is here for VBS. Why? Because God's gifted him to be an amazing storyteller with kids. And God has given him that race to run. That doesn't mean we say no to everything that our race doesn't involve. But we need to prioritize what that race involves. You know, there's a lot of us as adults, and I know this because I've lived it in my short time as an adult, and that is is that our world is full of not prioritizing, but inundating ourselves with all kinds of stuff. Let me ask you the question, what is your number one priority this morning? If you were to ask your children, if you left today, or your closest friends, you'd say, look at my life, what is my number one priority? Would they say, well, uh, dad, it's, it's, you, you, it's your job, or mom, it's, it's your friends, or, or it's to make sure we have a good house and, and money to be able to take care of things. Or would they say, as I say to my father, it's that he follows Christ. 
that he pursues Christ with all his heart, with all his strength, and with all his mind. And that he does it with joy in his heart. Folks, we have to prioritize because there is a race marked out for us. What would happen is, is if you were to run in a race on a track and you were to veer out into your, out, outside of your lane into someone else's, you know what happens? The umpire sticks up a flag and says, you're disqualified. And what happens? You're removed from the race. If you don't have the right priority and don't understand the direction you should be going in, the Bible says if you pursue everything else in this world and not following Christ and trusting Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says that there are two ways after you die. One that leads to heaven, the other one that leads to a place called hell. And that is a sad commentary when we choose not to follow Christ and follow the ways of this world. That involves running the race marked out for us. There's a third thing we see this morning, and I will close our time out. The third thing we see is that heroes don't find themselves prioritizing in the things of this world, but they focus in on the Savior. They focus in on the Savior. Look at what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Uh, he says in verse 2, Then let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a couple questions we need to ask when we consider the Savior, when we focus our attention on Jesus Christ. And the first question we must ask is, what was the reason for his running? The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. When Jesus left heaven to come to a little manger stall in Bethlehem, it says that he came with joy in his heart. Now picture with me for a moment that Jesus is in heaven. Angels are worshiping and adoring him. And he says, you know what? People are in need of a Savior. I'm going to go down to earth and I'm going to redeem them back to myself. Now what that's going to mean is that I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be laughed at. I'm going to be mocked. People are going to desert me. People are going to give up on me. But you know what? I'm going to go anyway for the joy that is set before me. You know, if I was to speak to the women here, and I was to talk with them about how difficult their labors and pregnancies were when they were uh, having children, I would probably hear a lot of crazy stories about how bad things were, probably all true, in fact. But you know what would probably happen if you were to ask any one of them, was it worth it? There would be a big smile, and you know, depending on your children now, but a big smile usually crosses the face of a mother who says, Yes, it was. And I would look back with great joy upon it. Was it difficult? Yes. Was it, did it hurt? Was there pain? Yes. But as I look at this little one now, I look with great joy. Jesus looked with great joy in his heart, even though the road would be difficult and would require great amounts of pain. The second thing we see is not only the reason for his running, but we see what involved his race. What was involved in his race? What did it require? What did his race require? We know that Jesus left heaven and all that it involved to come down to earth for one reason, to live for the opportunity to die. 
And you know, Jesus was placed on a cross on a hill called Golgotha in Israel, and he was placed on that cross to die. Now, we're not called to die as Christians. We're called to live, to run the race. But God makes it very clear that we must deny ourselves and take up the cross of Christ daily. If you want to find victory, then you have to follow in the footsteps of the greatest runner of all ages, Jesus Christ. And you must say, I'm not going to try to run it my way, but I'm going to run it the way Jesus Christ did, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and all that that meant. Dying on the cross is the most horrific way known to man to die. And Jesus did it with joy in his heart. The next thing we see is not only what his race required, but we see what was his reward. The text tells us that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus Christ finished that race, it died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven. The text tells us that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand of the throne of God is a place of the greatest nobility and notoriety when it comes to royalty. Jesus was placed at the highest place. The book of Philippians say that at the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because Jesus ran that race perfectly. And as our Lord and Savior, every individual, even if you don't do it today, you will do it one day where you will drop to your knee and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that will be a day of great rejoicing for God and a great day of rejoicing for Christ who ran the race and he will receive his reward. The Bible says that everything in this world is his. Why? Because he ran the race that God had for him. One final question we must ask is what is our response What is our response? The writer of Hebrews asks the question, and it begins to pose this kind of direction for us to go. In verse 3, the words are there in our English translation, Consider Him. Consider Him who endured such hostile or such difficult opposition. Consider Him. I want you to leave today, and I'm glad you came, and, and, and for our regular attenders, uh, we're in the Word again, and I want you to consider Jesus, but especially for those that are visiting with us this morning. And maybe you don't go to church, and maybe your wife dragged you here because the kids came to this VBS. You weren't even aware of it because you're at work, and, and, and you didn't know about it, but now we've got to go to church. You haven't been to church in years. I want you to walk away with one thought. Consider Jesus Christ. And not just consider Him as an option, but consider what He has done. Consider what He's done for you. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to consider that Jesus. The Bible says if we don't consider that Jesus, that we will grow weary and lose heart. There are a lot of people here today who have grown weary and have lost heart. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe finances aren't where they need to be. Maybe depression has overtaken you. I don't know where the battle's at. But if I know how my life is, it's easy to give up, to grow weary and lose heart unless we place our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Consider Jesus this morning. If you'd like to talk with someone, uh, we're not going to ask you to come forward. That's not the way we do things here. But we would like to talk with you. If you have any questions about this Jesus and what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about, that he can give us eternal life, then I want you to come and talk with me. I'll be out in the lobby. Go to the Welcome Center, which is outside these doors, and say, I'd like to talk to someone about Jesus. I want to consider him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word again. And Lord, here in this place, there are hundreds who would articulate the same words this morning as I would, that there is no better place to be than a race that leads to heaven. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to run that race. And I know I can't do it on my own. I know that without you, I can do nothing. So Father, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die and to be the one who would run before us to show us that it can be done and that there can be victory in life. And Father, I pray for anyone out there today who has never trusted your Son to be their Savior. Father, that they would consider Him who endured such opposition that they would not grow weary and lose heart. Father, I pray that they would consider that He came and died for them. That He died for them that they may have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that that would become a reality today before they leave this place, that they would meet Jesus once and for all. We thank you for Jesus and all that he's done, and we glorify him and worship him, and we thank him. In your name we pray. Amen.